1: Hello and welcome to Market Watch. Bar- uh, welcome to Barron's Live Market Watch edition. My name is Andrew Keschner, and I'm a reporter with Market Watch. Today with me is my esteemed colleague Jillian Berman, Deputy Enterprise Editor of Market Watch. Welcome, Jillian. Thanks for thanks for being here.
0: Thanks for having me, Andy.
1: So. We're here to talk about student loans and uh, and everything that happened from Friday onward. But let's start with Friday itself and the decisions that touched off that whirlwind. Um, these were these incredibly important rulings on uh, the Biden administration's loan forgiveness um, plan. And they came one day after a decision knocking down affirmative action in the uh, college admissions process. So there's so many ways to start, but I guess we'll, we'll start at the, uh, the beginning here. Um, wh- what were the justices arguing about in their decisions on loan can- student loan cancellations, and where did they actually agree?
0: Yeah, so there were two questions before the court um, on student loan cancellation. The first was whether the parties who were suing over this policy had standing or the right to sue, um, and basically that's, you know, there's sort of a test involved um, surrounding whether a policy directly injures them and how the ability of the court to actually redress the policy, um, you know, and that's kind of a whole, has, has separate legal implications for, you know, for other stuff beyond student loan cancellation, um, but basically, you know, on that question, which was the first question that they had to decide, they found that, um, that uh, in one of the lawsuits, the parties, which were two borrowers who um, wouldn't receive the full benefit of the student loan forgiveness pl- plan, did not have standing to sue. And they found that unanimously. So all of the justices agreed on that. Um, and so they you know, kind of tossed that one out. Um, on the other lawsuit, which was brought by six Republican-led states, um, they found that those states did have standing to sue. Um, and that was mostly, you know, sort of based on this argument that they had brought about a student loan servicer called Mohila, um, which is if you have student loans, you may work with Mohila. Um, and they were, you know, chartered by the Missouri state legislature. And basically, the court's conservative majority found that um, because of that connection, Missouri had the right to bring. The lawsuit um you know it's something that people have argued about whether or not um they argued before you know whether or not that that's enough but this is what the court found um and that allowed them to get to the second question in the case which was you know sort of the the quote unquote merits of of the suit um which you know is basically did the biden administration overstep in its um you know in, in its executive authority by issuing the step cancellation plan so did congress authorize, um, the secretary of education to do this. Um, and again, the court found, you know, six to three that, um, Congress did not authorize the secretary of education to do it. So that knocked down the, you know, the plan in its current form.
1: You, you mentioned the, the merits in this case and in just in student loans in general, there's so many things that are, uh, controversial, uh, on one side or another in, in arguments and counter arguments back and forth to me um it, you know i guess one of the interesting things was it, you know they really just stuck with this case of legal authority to do this versus other <laughs> pros and cons of student loan cancellation uh you know who would benefit who wouldn't uh i mean i don't did, did any of that did did, did they they didn't Really get into any of that, and uh, I mean, does their silence on that indicate one thing or another, or or no?
0: Yeah, I don't know if their silence on it indicates anything, but it was interesting. I mean, they did, like you said, they stuck to kind of the legal questions, Um, and so you know, something that was sort of interesting was there was like this back and forth on separation of powers, right? Like you know, John Roberts and his—he's the chief justice—and the court's majority opinion said. you know, we're finding that the executive branch overstepped the legislative branch, and then Elena Kagan and her dissent said, "I think that you know, by through this decision, the judicial branch, you know, is kind of overstepping them all." Um, so that was an interesting legal back and forth. Um, another thing too, which was not really a comment on, um, you know, who deserves loan forgiveness or whatever per se, but was kind of an interesting hint um at the politics uh surrounding this was you know sort of towards the end of robert's opinion he did you know give a little bit of a kind of it's chide is the right word <laughs> um you know but sort of said like that there have you know the the court um people have disparaged the court um and you know here what we find are the answers to two legal questions and kind of like discouraging that disparagement that was sort of interesting i guess you know kind of indicating like you know we know that this is going to be um there's gonna be some politics around this. Um, but yeah, like they didn't really get into you know the plight of borrowers or you know that too much. Um, which is I don't know if it's surprising. Um, at oral argument, that was something that they touched on more, I think. You know, so there, um, you know, Chief Justice Roberts had this whole sort of exchange about. Um, if somebody decided to start like a lawn care company, and so they didn't go to college, and but they took out a loan to start that they're not getting forgiveness, like, why do college, you know, people who went to college, get this. Um, so they're like, you know, there was sort of some indication or argument about how they felt about it. Um, but, you know, they didn't in the decision, they didn't talk about that too much it was more about whether or not the Secretary of Education can do this
1: yeah so so you know you mentioned um Justice Roberts kind of being on guard for the disparagement um that would, would that would likely come um after the decision and the disparagement certainly did come at least from you know borrower corner so you what were all the what were what was the range of reactions um that came from the decision um afterward
0: Yeah. So, um, you know, I I spoke with some borrowers kind of immediately afterwards. And, um, you know, there was a range of, of, you know, kind of disappointment throughout, but also, you know, some borrowers who were kind of like, this is what I expected. I'm not too surprised. Um, Some people too were, um, had been, when the, pol- when the policy was announced, had been disappointed in its contours <laughs> in the first place. So I, I can't remember if we talked about this already, but basically it would have canceled up to $20,000 in student debt um, for many borrowers, so, sort of for for most borrowers would have gotten at least $10,000 and then um, low-income po- borrowers who used a Pell Grant, which is... Um, something that low income that the federal government gives to low income students in college would have gotten twenty thousand dollars of debt forgiven. Um, and so at the beginning, when that policy was announced, you know there were a lot of borrowers who said it's not enough. I have eighty thousand dollars, ninety thousand dollars, whatever. Um, and so you know, in talking to them, they said it would have been nice, but not you know it's it's not a huge deal to me. Um, there were some who would it would have been you know sort of life changing, would have cut totally slash off their balance or really cut it down. Um, They were obviously more disappointed. Um, And then in addition to borrowers, you know, sort of almost immediately afterwards, uh, student loan borrower advocates came out and said, um, you know, Joe Biden, you need to do more on this um, and you need to keep trying. We can't let the court have the last word. Um, And so that was something that happened immediately afterwards. There was, you know, it was in all the statements. Um, There was a rally at the court. Um, And it was something that they'd been, you know, sort of previewing they were going to do before the decision came down.
1: So, okay, so then then uh, the president comes later that same afternoon um, and he gives his reaction and he sketches out what happens next for borrowers. So what did he say?
0: Yeah, so he did, um, he did what the the advocates <laughs> had sort of, you know, wanted him to do, which was he said, I'm going to go at this again. Um, and he, oh, and the other thing too, that he did say, you know, which, which I think is, is maybe of a piece too, with the affirmative action decision as well, um, is he said, I think the court is wrong. I think this was a mistake. Mm-hmm. Um, so he, you know, was pointed and saying, I disagree with this. Um, and then he said, I am, we're coming out with a new way of going at this that's consistent with the ruling. Um, And so basically the ruling focused on whether the president had the authority to do this under, or the secretary of education had the authority to do this under a law called the HEROES Act. Um, It was passed in 2003, um, you know, sort of as a way to help or a a way to provide a tool to the secretary of education to kind of mitigate any challenges that borrowers might face um, after a national emergency. Um, And so in this case, the national emergency was covid um, and you know, the Biden administration had argued, okay, we need this loan forgiveness because we're going to turn payments back on. And if we don't give people loan forgiveness before we turn payments back on, they're going to, you know, suffer. And the HEROES Act gives us the power to to do that. Um, and so, and the Supreme Court said, no, it does not. <laughs> and so what Biden said is I'm going to try again and I'm going to use, um, authority under the higher education act, which is kind of the. Broad law that governs um, all of higher education, and um, you know, and there's a provision in there that advocates have been talking about for a long, long time that says the Secretary of Education, um, you know, can compromise um, student loans, basically. And you know, and they've pointed to that and said that means he has the power to he or she, Secretary of Education, has the power to cancel student debt en masse, Um, and that's what Biden said he's going to use. So that was sort of what he has announced.
1: So to be continued on, on 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 there, but in the immediate term, he also talked about this on ramp. Uh, this um, you know uh, as the payments resume. Um, so talk a little bit about there and what is what do we know and what do we not know yet about the on ramp?
0: Yeah. So the on ramp basically it's it's giving a little bit more of a cushion um, for the next twelve months when um, payments resume, which they're scheduled to resume in the fall. Um, And so what the on-ramp does is it, you know, it says, okay, if you have trouble making your student loan payments and you miss a payment and you, or you miss, you know, several payments between now and between the when payments resume and 12 months from then, um, the Department of Education is instructing servicers not to report you to credit bureaus. So you're not, it's not going to have an impact on your credit score. Um, And, you know, we won't, you won't go into delinquency and defaults. You won't, you know, debt collection agencies won't be coming after you. Um, and so basically what it does is it allows for like the harshest, it it, it provides protection from what I would say are the harshest consequences of not repaying your student loans. Um, but it doesn't, you know, um, it's not the same as the payment pause that we've been in for the past three years. Um, so interest will start accruing in the fall. Um, Mm -hmm. as as the president said if you can afford to you know to make your payments he you know he was encouraging borrowers if you can afford to make your payments you should um but if you're having trouble like this will sort of provide um a little bit of you know leeway while while you you know get everything together
1: um now is a good time to remind our listeners uh please feel free to uh submit questions and we will do our best to answer answer them. And uh, to that point, we do have a question from Patrick and he wants to know, when will interest charges begin to be applied? Is it correct that none should have been accrued so far and they will not be retroactive?
0: Yeah. So interest will start accruing on, on September 1 is what the Department of Education has said. Um, and it's correct. I mean, it shouldn't be retroactive in the sense that like, you know, interest has been paused for three years. Um, so yeah, you shouldn't, it's not like they'll be taking that interest that was paused and, you know, dumping it back on. It's just, you know, they're gonna now start, um, having interest accrue at that point. Um, so yeah, that's, you know, that that's sort of what that looks like.
1: So, okay. So, here we are now we we've heard what uh the court has said we've heard what uh president biden has said and just to to that nitty-gritty uh and you've been hitting on it just to hit hit home on it what are the important next steps and next dates as we get ready for the uh the payment pause to end
0: yeah so okay like we just said interest starts accruing um september one so there's some people who um maybe have some money that they that they'd save during the pause or just have (laughs) that they might want to put towards um, knocking off, you know, a big amount of their debt. It it would be a good idea maybe to try to do that before interest starts accruing, right? Because the lower principal balance, you have the less money upon which interest can accrue. So if that's, if you're in that boat, you might consider that. Um, So that's, you know, that's one. And then borrowers are, you know, the last, the department of education Education said they should be um, expecting a, you know, to have a payment due sometime in October. um, And that's going to vary. Like some people's payments are due the first, some the 15th, you know, sort of just going to vary on your situation, but um, sometime in October. Um, And, you know, and then the other thing too is the, the president's announcement on cancellation. There's, um, you know, on, on him going, going at it again, right. There's like kind of a long timeline likely with that. Um, You know, they've said they're moving as fast as possible, Um, but, you know, they announced sort of a regulatory process, um, that typically takes several months to, you know, sort of go through. Um, so, you know, that's, that's just something to, to kind of keep your eye on, but, you know, in the immediate, it's a good idea to try to make sure you can, you know, have an affordable student loan repayment, student loan payment.
1: So uh, there's in, in all of the, in all of this, there's the loan forgiveness side of it all. But something that, I don't know, you know, that maybe doesn't get as much attention are the changes to the income driven repayment plans. So talk a little bit about these and the changes that are in store for these and what, what people should know here.
0: Yeah, so this is, it's is funny, because when um, President Biden announced the first time that he was canceling student debt, he also announced these big changes to student loan repayment. Um, you know, and once again, because it's kind of like the third thing, <laughs> um, it sort of got buried. Um, you know, and, and so he, you know, at the time, he kind of was announcing what he was proposing. And then on Friday, after the court's decision, he announced the final version of the changes to these plans. So these are the rules that they're you know, that they plan on using. Um, and, and so income driven repayment, you know, just to step back what it is, it, it's a program that allows federal student loan borrowers to repay their debt as a percentage of their income instead of, you know, so your payment is based on how much money you make. It's not based on your student loan balance. Um, and so it's, you know, it's good for people. Um, a lot of times if you've just graduated, it can be really helpful because your income might be low. If you, um, if you are a medical resident, <laughs> um, you know, a lot of times that's like a big, you know, cohort of people who often take advantage of it. Um, and then, you know, some people just have, you know, jobs that do not pay commensurate with what they owe on their student loans. Um, and so, the, you know, that's, that's the type of person who maybe will be an in income driven repayment for a long time. Um, and at the end of, you know, 20 or 25 years, depending on the plan and all that, You have the remaining balance forgiven, so you know that's that's a situation where like people who get the biggest benefit um, are people for whom their sort of whole repayment journey, their debt is not commensurate to their income. Um, Yeah, so that's you know that's kind of the big benefit, and then the changes (laughs) that you know that the Biden administration made to that are, you know, essentially it makes it more generous in a lot of ways. Um, And some of these changes are going to be implemented when payments turn back on. Um, So one of those is that um, more of your income is protected. So basically when they're saying, you know, how much money do you make? And we're basing your payment off of that. They're going to you know, start calculating the payments at a higher amount of money. (laughs) So um, you know, so if you um, basically, you know, yeah, more of your income is projected from this payment repayment calculation, which is good. That means, you know, your uh, your payment will be lower um, than it was before if you were using one of these plans, um, assuming your income stays the same. Another thing, too, that is going to start um, with the end of the payment pause is that uh, unpaid interest won't accrue. So, like, a big problem with these plans is that borrowers would you know, they'd be paying their student loans for years, but they would see the balance just keep going up and up and up because, um, you know, they, the payment was based on income, not on the loan. So they would make a payment that wouldn't even touch the interest. And so the balance would just keep growing and growing and growing. And that's like disheartening, (laughs) you know, it's just not, it's not a good experience for a lot of borrowers, especially for them to feel like, I'm, you know, doing the right thing, but like, it just keeps growing. And also because theoretically at the end it's forgiven. So why are we even, you know, sort of watching this clock tick up and just like stressing people out. So, um, you know, that's a, that's a big change that is going to be implemented when um, the payment pause ends. And there's a couple other things that will come in July of 2024 that are big changes.
1: Yeah. So, uh, so uh... So, we have these changes that are coming um, to the income driven repayment plans. We have payments that are resuming. Um, but what's the whole repayment process going to be like? Uh, you know, even just, just that nitty gritty of uh, uh, making that payment, making sure your servicer has it. Uh, um, in my very brief talking to people, it sounds like it, it could be dicey in the beginning.
0: Yeah. So yes, there's, and there's a couple of reasons why that's going to be the case. Um, one reason is that I think the CFPB estimated that about a quarter of student loan borrowers will have a different student loan servicer um, when they resume payments than the one that they had before the payment pause. So a lot of student loan servicers kind of like exited the business. There's been a lot of switching around, which means that the com- the, the place where you sent your payment might be different um, than where it was before. So um, it's a good idea to just, you know, sort of check um, to make sure that the Department of Education, that your student loan servicer, et cetera, have like updated information for you so that, you know, they can reach you and, and all of that. So that's something to keep in mind. Um, the other thing, too, is that Congress um, cut funding to the Office of Federal Student Aid or didn't, I, I don't know if cut funding is the right word, but didn't meet the government's full funding request for the Office of Federal Student Aid, um, basically didn't give them as much money <laughs> as they um, wanted and said they needed, um, and that's the office that oversees student loan, you know, repayment. And as such, their contracts with servicers change, so servicers are getting paid less money to, you know, service student loans, and the servicers cut their hours, so their customer service hours. Um, so they, for example, are not um, you know, there's no longer customer service hours on Saturdays. So <laughs> there's, you know, just kind of a lot of, you know, that means getting, it, it's just getting in touch with their servicer might be difficult. Um, especially, you know, once October comes around or September and people see yeah. those loan bills and they start making those phone calls. So if you think that you, you know, want to change your payment plan, if you want to take advantage of the Biden administration's new income-driven repayment plan. Um, it's a good time to go on the firm of Education's website or call your student loan servicer or go on their website, you know, kind of just start sorting through that because come fall, you're going to be you'll probably be on hold for a long time. Um, you know, all of that. Um, and one thing I will say is that if you're already in repay, which is one of the income driven repayment plans that exists, um, the government has said that you'll automatically be enrolled in the new um, income-driven repayment plan that they announced. So if that's you and you want to stick with that, then you don't have to make changes.
1: Yeah. Um, another reminder to our listeners, um, please feel free to send your questions in the Q and a, Jillian, let's, let's bring this in a different direction or a related direction. So, um, the day before the, uh, we had Harvard's um, Harvard's admissions policies and uh, UNC's admissions policies under the microscope, and the end result was the decision uh, to knock down the, the majority of the decision to knock down affirmative action in college admissions. So, you know that that's one side of the higher education. Um, issue net the many issues and then we have student loans on the other so what have you been hearing about how the lack of loan forgiveness is going to interact with the lack of affirmative action that um that colleges can take into account when they are are, are figuring in who, who can get who gets in and who doesn't
0: yeah, so it's It's complicated, but, you know, definitely people are drawing sort of um, connections between these two decisions. So first of all, one thing that we know about student debt um, is that it disproportionately affects Black borrowers. Um, it also, I mean, disproportionately really actually affects Black women borrowers. Um, you know, it, it sort of has these disproportionate impacts on different groups. Um, and so, you know, that's, that's sort of one thing to hold in your mind, you know, when you think about this. Um, The other thing, you know, and then so then when we think about affirmative action, right, you know, what that sort of what those cases were about was whether um, colleges can use what what are called race conscious admissions policies. So, you know, can they um, take someone's race into account when they're deciding whether to give them admission, you know, to admit them to a school? The court basically said no. Um, It's sort of in like very limited circumstances, but like broadly, no. Um, and so, and, and, you know, sort of on top of that, the kinds of schools that use the admissions policies that, you know, sort of were under the microscope at the court are selective colleges. Um, and that's, you know, a pretty small sliver of schools, um, of colleges across the country. Most, Mm -hmm. you know, most college students go to a college that wouldn't use something like that. Um, but those schools do tend to have good outcomes for students a lot of times because they have a lot of money. Um, So, you know, so basically what, you know, what the court did, um, or, you know, at least what many argue the court did was, you know, kind of limit access or, you know, sort of create a situation where there's going to be fewer um, underrepresented minority students at these schools that have good outcomes good outcomes are, you know, key to repaying your student loans. <laughs> so, you know, it's kind of like, you know, circular, right? The students who, you know, who we know might have more trouble repaying their student loans are sort of, you know, continuing to be pushed into schools where it's maybe harder to repay your student loans. Um, So that's, you know, that's kind of like one way that they're related. Another thing, too, is, um, you know, I did some reporting around how the decision on affirmative action does not touch on financial aid, you know, they never said anything about it. Um, But in the past, schools have used, um, you know, sort of affirmative or have been, you know, sort of scared (laughs) by opinions, around affirmative action into sort of limiting scholarships that are focused on certain, you know, racial groups. So, you know, in that sense, right, you, and that affects not just colleges that use selective admissions, that affects any type of college that offers a scholarship like this. So in that sense, right, then, you know, also you're having sort of like scholarship money that might go to people who just importantly, disproportionately struggle with student debt, become limited. Um, you know, so those are just like a couple of the connections
1: there. So Jillian, actually, we have had a couple more, okay. uh, questions pour in. So let's, let's, <laughs> let's go through, let's go through a couple. Um, David wants to know, um, for student on, uh, PSLF, uh, public, uh, service loan forgiveness, is there really a big benefit under SAVE, which is that new overhauled, um, income driven plan? Uh, Seems like the only benefit uh, is a somewhat lower payment due to the, um, you know, due to the higher, you know, the more relaxed standards of of what is going in. Um, Why do I care that interest won't accrue? I only care about how much my payments will be over 10 years before forgiveness. Uh, I don't care how much is forgiven. So I guess he's, you know, talking about this, what is PSLF versus save?
0: Yeah. So actually someone I was talking to a couple of days ago um I actually argued that people who use PSLF will probably be some of the biggest beneficiaries um of it. And that's because, you know, they only have to pay um over 10 years and they're they'll be paying less. So they will have more of their balance forgiven. Um so right when the payment pause takes effect, um, this idea that, you know, a larger percentage of your income is protected, um, that goes into effect right away. But there's another change that the Biden administration made in income-driven repayment that I believe is taking effect. Won't take effect until July 2024, um, which is the percentage of your income that you're that you're paying. So right now, the minimum um, percentage of your income under an income-driven repayment plan is 10%. Um, but if you only have loans from undergrad, um, that's going to be 5% under SAVE. So it's basically like you're, you know, there, that's like two ways in which the payment, potentially two ways in which your monthly payments going down significantly. Um, and so that means that at the end of the 10 years, you'll probably have more forgiven um, or sort of thought of another way. You'll pay less over the 10 years than you would have.
1: Um, another question comes from Ben. Um, what about direct? Uh, parental loans, or I guess these are the Parent PLUS loans.
0: What about Parent PLUS loans? Yeah, so actually, that's a great question. And I didn't um, get a chance to double check the new, that sort of the finalized regulations, but in the ones that were announced in the proposed regulations, and I would have, I'm going to assume it's probably the same, though, again, I would double check. Parent PLUS were not, Parent PLUS loans were not included um, in SAVE, so they were not eligible. Um, during the proposed regulations. Um, But again, I have to double check on if, you know, that that came through in the final.
1: So uh, one one more question, and this can kind of seg into our little last bit on politics, Um, but Hal is saying his understanding was that the Biden administration knew that they were pushing the envelope on congressional spending and the separation of powers. Um, And so what do you think of that? Uh
0: yeah, so I don't know what they know, what you know, what they, you know, what they knew, what they didn't, what they thought. Um you know, I think that obviously sort of um taking another stab at this um you know, does keep it kind of alive politically as we head into another election cycle. Um, you know, so that's, you know, that's obviously something to think about. Um, I don't know, you know, like I have no insight on their thinking. Yeah. Um, you know, people had been pushing them for a long, long time to use the Higher Education Act to cancel student debt, which is the this so-called Plan B <laughs> that they're using now, not the HEROES Act, um, which is what they used for Plan A. Um, and there were a lot of reasons why people thought that the heroes act, you know, had a better shot. Um, so, you know, so it's sort of, it's like hard to say what they, you know, <laughs> it's hard to be in the, in their heads, but, you know, obviously it is going to be kept alive politically now.
1: Yeah. And I, yeah, that's our, 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 last, uh, uh, the last little bit, you know, looking forward, um, politics, you know, there's the personal finance part of this, and then there's the politics part of this—any uh, um, any immediate rumblings as to how this plays out in the election cycle and uh, presidential politics of twenty
0: twenty four? Yeah, I mean, okay, hard to say. Um, I, you know, there there definitely was around the midterms um, some indication that student debt cancellation, um, you know, sort of uh, mobilized young Democratic voters. Um, so you know, again, so now it's it's still alive, right, for this next election cycle. Um, you know, another thing, too, that somebody had, had pointed out to me, right, is that this is a, um, you know, my reporting that this is another sort of student debt. They're using the student debt plan as a way to, like, take another stab at the Supreme Court um, and the politics of the Supreme Court, uh, you know, and so that's obviously kind of like a live political issue <laughs> that's, you know, that's being played out all the time. Um, and, you know, and I guess, you know, we'll have to see sort of how voters respond and, you know, think.
1: Before we sign off one, one more last one from David, who had his, had, uh, had his questions about, uh, PSLF loans. He is talking about medical school loans. Um, so what, what should he, uh, know going forward about PSLF versus save and, and all that?
0: Yeah. So, okay. So if you're, um, uh, you know, people who went to medical school are, um, you know, can, can be big users of public service loan forgiveness, which is, I don't know if we even explained what it was at the outset, but it's a program that allows people who work for the government or certain nonprofits um, to have their loan balance forgiven after 10 years of payments. Um, So that's, that's the idea. Um, and people went to medical school often use it because they may work in a hospital, um, which are nonprofits or, you know, or they work in a clinic or whatever, but it's, you know, it's more common than maybe in some other jobs where you, that you end up working for an employer that qualifies for this. Um, so if you think that's you, um, you know, then I would take advantage of it. Um, you know, there's some, like, I don't personally, I don't know much about the sort of physician pay market or, you know, or anything like that. But I, you know, there are some situations I'm sure where you would make, you know, you make more money at going into the private sector at some point. And it doesn't really, you know, it's, it's, it's so much more that it doesn't make sense to like hold out for this loan forgiveness benefit. But yeah. um, for a lot of people, you know, they, the, the employer they choose anyway would, is a nonprofit. So then they would take advantage of it. Um, and the thing about PSLF is, to get any benefit, you need to you should be using an income-driven repayment plan. Um, and so you would probably want to choose save because it is probably going to be the most beneficial.
1: Got it. We just wanted to you know fully fully address what was yeah. going through David's mind here. Okay. <laughs> Unfortunately, that is all the time we have for today. Thank you, Jillian, for joining us, and thank you, audience, for tuning. Two- tuning in. Uh, we hope you listen to our next episode tomorrow. Barron's Deputy Editor Alex Yule and Associate Editor for Technology Eric J. Savitz will discuss the outlook for tech companies and individual stocks. Thank you for listening. Be well and have a nice day.
0: The energy transition is a long and winding road and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com.